Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. So over the past few weeks, we have been learning and being reminded about how God does want to use us on mission to bring light and life to the world around us, right? That's what we've been learning about. And we've talked about this, that at the heart of or at the core of God's mission is not just getting people across some imaginary line, but what God wants, the end goal of His mission, is to see more and more hearts swept up into adoration of the God who made us, the God who loves us, who pursues us, and ultimately who saves. That's the end goal of mission, not just getting people to intellectually assent to something about Jesus, but to have their hearts and lives swept up into this incredible God. Now, I told you a couple of weeks ago that there's a biblical strategy for God's mission, and the biblical strategy for God's mission is to see more and more people, as many people as possible, leaving from here and going out as the ordinary men and women of God, talking about Jesus, talking about Him with people all of the time, doing extraordinary things by His hand, making disciples and all for His kingdom. That, that's the strategy the Bible gives us. That's our mission strategy as a church, for us to go out and to tell people about Jesus, to make disciples, and to do extraordinary works by His hand for His kingdom. That's what we're all about. It, it is by our lips and our lives that God moves the gospel forward. We, we, all of us, every one of you and me, we've got to go and talk about Jesus, and we've got to live in the reality of His Lordship in our lives. Now, what I want to do over the next few weeks is zoom in and focus on the middle of this statement, this line, multiplying disciples, all right? So, if you grew up in the church, that is just like church speak 101. Who grew up in the church? Okay, so for all of you, that sounds as ordinary as it's hot in Texas to say church goes and makes disciples. That's it's what we do. Why do we, though, think about uh, life in terms of discipleship? Well, we think about life in terms of discipleship as Christians as the church simply because Jesus, we think in terms of Jesus. Jesus had 12 what? Disciples. And that's probably the first thing that anyone thinks of when they hear the word disciple, whether they're in the church or outside the church. They hear the word disciple and they think about these 12 men that Jesus invited into His life to travel with Him, to go with Him, to learn from Him, to take on His purpose with their lives. He shared His life with them. Jesus had 12 Disciples, right, you're, you're getting there. That, we're, we're, we've got one answer down today. Second, we know that Jesus gave in His great commission to the church, to His followers, that we would go and make. That's right. We would go and make disciples. That's normal language for us. We talk about it all the time. What I want you to understand this morning is that in the ancient world, that discipleship wasn't just church talk. It wasn't just a church thing. Uh, there were two Greek words that were in common use in the ancient world, one meaning teacher and one meaning pupil. And, and I know this is going to sound very simplistic, but a teacher could not be a teacher unless they had a pupil, and a pupil could not be a pupil unless they had a teacher. And you go, well, duh, that's obvious, Kevin. But I want to focus on this and raise it up because I want you to understand that at the heart of the discipleship relationship isn't an agenda, and it's not a curriculum, but it's a relationship that the essence of discipleship is a very unique, a particular kind of relationship between one who is a master or a teacher and one who is a learner or a pupil who submits to and is included into the life 
uh, of their teacher. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, One day, there was a man standing uh, beside a river, and he observed the river. I want you to understand this too. The whole world, and this is going to apply to what I'm telling you, the whole world and every experience in the human life is based on four words. It's based on observation, it's based on fascination, it's based on transformation, and on replication. Do you get that? Like a person sees something, they observe or hear or experience something in their life, and it begins to pique their interest or, or their fascination or their affection so much so that they keep returning to it and looking into it and paying attention to it in such a way that it begins to color the way that they see the world or, or speak in, into the world. It, it begins to transform the way they view things in such a way that it begins to catch with others also. In, in the ancient world, uh, you look at, at discipleship, and, and everybody kind of was doing it. Uh, the essence of discipleship is relationship. There's a man, he's looking at a river, he's noticing the nature of the river and how it just constantly flows. And there's rocks, and there's sticks, and there's, you know, animals, there's all kinds of things in the river. But as he looks and he observes the river, what he finds is it's constantly in, in motion, it's flowing. And so he looks down into the river, and he says, you know, no man can enter into the same river twice. I, mean, I have no clue what that means. It sounds really interesting. It sounds very fascinating. What does he mean, though? Well, what he meant was as he stared into the river and watched the, the nature of the river that it constantly is in motion, he said, you know, if I stepped into this river a second time, it wouldn't be the same river because the water flows, it moves. So the second time I stand into the river, the water that I'm in was upstream a moment ago, so it's not the same river. And on top of that, with every beat of my heart, every breath that I take, every thought that I have, every feeling that I have, I'm constantly in motion. I'm constantly in changing. And so his full phrase, what he said was, no man ever steps into the same river twice, for it's not the same river, and he's not the same man. And this wasn't just some guy who thought of it. It was a famous philosopher born in Ephesus in 544 B.C. who said this. And what he did then as he began to dive into the philosophy of change and motion and how nothing in the world stays the same and it affects politics and relationships and nature and everything in life, he began to gather people around him. They were his disciples. He would gather them around him, and he would instruct them and talk to them about how change and motion affects everything in life, and they were fascinated by it, and they began to think like him and speak like him. He was their master, he was their teacher, and they were his disciples. In the rabbis in in Jewish history, they had a particular view of discipleship. They saw themselves as disciples of Moses and of of the law. And in fact, rabbis, some of them became so much more fascinated with the law of God than they were fascinated with God Himself. And what they would do is they would come together in, in kind of schools of rabbis, and they would debate, and they would argue over their interpretation of the law of God so they might have a particular bent on exactly how to obey or how to walk or how to behave in light of the law of God. And rabbis would go out and they'd gather up disciples who would travel with them, who would go with them, who would do everything they did everywhere they went, and they would listen to them and learn their interpretation of of the law of God and how to behave. For the Greeks, discipleship was a relationship that was about replicating their philosophy or their way of thinking about the world. For Jews, their discipleship for rabbis was their way of replicating in relationship a particular way of living life and having particular behaviors. 
So uh, when they observed something and they became fascinated, it wasn't a fleeting fascination. It wasn't like, hey, that's kind of interesting and I'm moving on. But they began to dive into something at such a depth and with such veracity that they found it worthy of replication, of it marking their entire life and becoming a part of their purpose that they would propagate this way of thinking or this way of behaving in the world. And there's no shortage of illustrations about discipleship when you come to the times of Jesus. The Greeks had disciples. The, the rabbis, the Pharisees had disciples. We read about John the Baptist had disciples. Jesus had disciples. But the key was always, in all of these cases, a very unique and particular relationship between a person who is a master or teacher and a person who's a, le- a learner who's sitting under the teaching and taking on the teaching uh, of that person. Listen, what I want you to see this morning is that every one of you and I, we are a part of this same cycle today of observation, fascination, transformation, and replication. Like, like that is a normal part of your everyday experience. I'm going to talk to you in a couple of weeks about how you can't not be a leader. And English majors are like, you can't say that. Can't not doesn't work. It's a double negative. It's hard on my ears. I get it, but we're going to talk about how as you live your life, people are watching, they're listening, and they're going to learn from you and take on things from you about how you view the world or how you view God, right? So you can't not be a leader, but today I want to talk to you about how you can't not be a follower. With me? How you can't not be a follower, how you are being influenced by masters and teachers and voices and ideas. I want to get this, get a hold of this basic idea that every day you are taking in content and you're beginning to be formed by it and you are following and being formed by people's ideas and practices, usually by the people or their ideas that you just find most fascinating. You find something fascinating and you go, I want more of that in my life, right? And I, I was thinking about over the last couple of weeks, some of the, you've been wondering what this is, some of the people and the ideas that I have followed and been formed by, and not in all in equal measure, but at some point I read something or I heard something, I went, I want more from that person. And, and these are some people who form in, in, in my life. One's Phil Jackson. Like this book was revolutionary for me. It's called 11 Rings because why? He has 11 championship rings. And he talks about his own story as a player and as a coach of the Dynasty Bulls and a coach of the Dynasty Lakers. His parents were Pentecostal ministers and he took on this Native American mysticism and he blends all of that in a blender and it's the way he leads people to victory, to success, to win many, many, many rings. And I read it and I, I mean, I underlined this book almost like I was underlining the Bible and I'm a little ashamed to say so, but I, I drank it like a, you know, a dying and thirsty man. Uh, anybody read John Maxwell books? So I, I started reading these in college. This represents like 25 other books I've read by John Maxwell, Basic Principles of Leadership. Anyone read Patrick Lencioni for work? Did you have a seminar at work that you had to go through and it was based on his ideas? Like, very smart guy. I really enjoyed it. Even our staff went through this book together. Eugene Peterson, 
He's kind of the, the pastor's pastor. Uh, he's the one who wrote the paraphrase, the message that maybe you've read on your phone or you've got a, a hard copy of it. Uh, he, everything that he's written, I've, I've read uh, everything he's written, and I love it. He has such a, a gentle shepherding heart. He doesn't get lost in the lights and the, the smoke and stuff. He, he says our job as pastors is to sit with people, to pray with them, and to teach them to love the Word of God. I go, yes! And so I love this guy. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton, uh, in the last probably three to four years, two books that she has written are probably the most impactful books I've read in the last two or, th- two or three years. She's phenomenal. Uh, how many of you know your Enneagram number? Does anybody know your number? Right? I, 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 know my, I know I'm a three. I know it. I'm a three, four wing. I know it in and out. I love personality profiles. Disc, you know that? Uh, somebody a lion, a beaver, an otter retriever, or somebody, are you blue, gold, orange, or green? Do you know your disc? I mean, we love this stuff because we see something in it that's interesting, and it, maybe it tells us something about ourselves or about the way we view or filter life or experiences in life. And so we, we dive in so much so sometimes we dive in too deeply. Uh, I think about the podcasts I listen to. Um, I mean, what, what podcast do you listen to that maybe somebody just said, hey, you ought to check this guy out or check this girl out? And you listened, and you said, this is phenomenal. And then you can't, you're hooked. You can't stop. You keep going back to it again and again. Think about the role models in your life. The people who are role models for uh, how you carry out your career and chase your career goals or, or the role models for how you build wealth or how you raise your family. Like, who do you go to for answers? Who are you reading for the 10 steps to this when you're facing difficult things in life, when you feel stuck, when you feel like you can't get past a wall, who is it that you keep going back to again and again? I think that we very easily enter into a relationship with a teacher, often without realizing how deeply our minds and our hearts are being formed by them. And it starts out just as content, right? It's just a podcast. It's just a blog I just read an article or a book. It's just content until maybe we become content to just sit under it again and again and again and just keep going back to this person's well of experience or knowledge or ideas. And we enter into something deeper with them. And without realizing it, we become disciples of of many different masters. My goal this morning, first is for all of us in this room to up our awareness, our self-awareness that we follow and are are formed by many masters and teachers. And we may not have looked at it that way before. It was just content. It was just something I read, but I kept going back to it, and I found myself submitting to it. And we all follow and are formed by a number of masters and teachers. And some of you, it's, it's these people right? Or Simon Sinek or Malcolm Gladwell or Annie Downs or somebody. And we follow them and we're formed by them and we're propagating their ideas and the relationships and the people that we interact with on a daily basis. Some of you are disciples of of Fox News and some of you are disciples of CNN. And I don't mean to say that every bit of content you take in, every voice that you listen to, you automatically become a disciple of that person. But I mean, if you keep going back to that person again and again and sitting at their feet and taking on their ideas and you find it beginning to shape the way you think and the way you speak and the way that you see the world, 
So much so that their ideas, their voice begins to speak from your lips and your life, and it's beginning to be replicated in the people around you. Well, then, yeah, you are disciples of these people. I've been a long preamble here. Forgive me for that. I want to bring to you a message from Isaiah 43 this morning. So grab your Bible and turn in the Old Testament, kind of the middle of your Bible, to Isaiah chapter 43. I want to look at the roots of biblical discipleship. One author said the root of biblical discipleship goes deep into the fertile soil of God's calling. And we think about Jesus' calling of His 12. He had 12 what? Okay, you're still with me. We think about the the root of Jesus' calling His disciples, and really we might consider that it's a reiteration or an extension of God's call on the people of Israel generations before. When God called them out and said, we're going to have a unique and special kind of relationship, He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And it speaks to the heart of a very unique kind of relationship where there's shared identity and shared purpose with God being the one who's sharing it with us, but we are coming under and joining in with Him. Now, we understand through the gospel that all people who come to faith in Jesus Christ become God's people. Not just Israel, but anyone who comes to saving faith in Jesus becomes God's people. We're the people who sit at God's feet, who learn from Him, who become fascinated with Him, who He's transforming. 2 Corinthians 3 says we become like Him as we behold Him. We're being transformed to to Jesus Christ's uh, glory from one degree to the next by the Holy Spirit, who is God, who's doing this. We are the, the people of God, and as we become like Him, as we behold Him, we begin to replicate this, bringing His blessing and His mission and His glory and His grace and His ethos into the world around us. What I want to happen this morning as we read Isaiah 43, I want you to be even more fully convinced than you were before you came in the room that it is so much better. I mean, the disparity can't even be counted. It is so much better to fully follow God and be formed by Him than all of the rest. That's my goal, okay? I'm going to see if I can convince you this morning. It is so infinitely much better to be fully formed and fully follow God than it is all, all of the rest. Listen to Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. He, he who is your creator, Jacob, and he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I want you to think about this passage in terms of being God's resume, okay? You've built your resume before. You've seen resumes come in before if you're hiring. This is like God is painting. He's writing down. He's, he's typed up on his computer in Word his resume for entering into a disciple-master relationship with him. And what I want to do is look at this again, and I want to highlight his qualifications. He gives 11 amazing, I mean, incredible 
qualifications in two and a half verses for why He should be the one we follow fully and the one who forms us. So look at it again. Verse 1, the first qualification of God, He says, I'm the creator. (laughs) You want to find someone to follow after? I am your creator, Jacob, and He who formed you, Israel. He is the creator of every human being. And we know this in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, light, day, night, the animals, and man and woman. And we know that God created by what power? By His Word. He spoke things into existence. God said, let there be light. And there was light, and there was day, and there was night, and there were animals. But when God came to create man and woman, God didn't just speak into existence. God got His hands dirty. He got down in and formed. I love the word formed here. He created and He formed. He formed man from dirt and woman from bone. Like God's fingerprints, you get that. His fingerprints are all over you. God created and He's formed everything on earth. And He didn't do that only in the beginning, but we're also told in the same way that God has been forming a family for Himself, right? Starting with the call of Abraham, moving through the history of Israel into the incarnation of Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection then forms a people, a saved people, a redeemed people that He calls His church. He's forming a family for Himself. Qualification number one for why we should maybe follow God over every other is that He has made, He has created and formed everything, and He's forming a family for Himself. Qualification two, He says, and uh, do not fear for I have redeemed you. He's the Redeemer. He's the only one who can bring redemption. He's the only one who brings true restoration and healing, the one who makes beauty from ashes. He's the Redeemer. And to Israel hearing this, the first audience of this text, it would probably bring to mind experience. How, God, were you the Redeemer? Let me consider in your resume how, you know, you put the headline, I'm the Redeemer, and then you, you bullet point. What did you do to prove yourself Redeemer? Maybe they're thinking, oh, this sounds kind of like the Passover experience, kind of like the Exodus experience. And what did we learn in those experiences is that God is the Redeemer and redemption comes at a price. And for us on the other side of, of, of the cross of Jesus, we understand that it's God Himself who always pays the price for true redemption. He did so on the cross. Qualification two is He's redeemer. Three, qualification three is He's called people to Himself to follow and be formed by Him. He says, I have called you. It's not like God just wrote a book and He put it out there, and maybe it got on somebody's list, and somehow you heard about it, and you read it, and so now you can be His follower. But God has specifically called out and said, come to me. In fact, the next thing He says is, I've called you by name. That's the next qualification. God's omniscient. He doesn't just give a general calling and say, well, you know, if anybody out there is listening, I'd love for you to, whoever, just come… God has called you specifically by name, every person that's a part of His family. God knows your name, and God has said, come to me, draw near to me, experience my redemption, experience my presence. It's a personal and knowing calling. Here's qualification five. We belong to Him anyways. He says, you are mine, right? Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. We already belong to Him, right? 
We belong to Him. We are His. And so why not follow after the one we belong to? Next qualification. He says He's with His people. Listen to this. When you pass through the waters, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I'll be with you. And because I'm with you, He continues, through the rivers, they will not overflow you. I'm with you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. I'm with you. Because God is with us, we can count on His protection and His provision. God protects us. What a qualification for following after Him. One who says, I will protect you. And God's not saying, you notice, He's not saying that you'll never have troubles. He says, when the waters come, they won't overflow you. When the flames come, you won't be burnt. You might be pressed, but you won't be crushed because I am with you. And again, think about Israel, the first audience of these words. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He's giving specific examples of His protection and provision being with them in the past. Maybe they're thinking in waters. They're thinking of two waters that they had to pass, to, pass through in their history. Maybe they're thinking of the Red Sea, that God in His provision and protection opened the Red Sea, allowing them to pass through and closed it on the pursuing Egyptian army who sought to destroy them. Maybe, maybe they're thinking of those waters and going, oh yeah, God does do that, doesn't He? He does do that kind of thing. Maybe they're thinking of the, the Jordan River and how God brought them through the Jordan River to deliver them into the promised land and give them everything He had ever promised them, to give them the fulfillment of His promises to them, that He provided the way through the Jordan River, and they're going, yeah, God does do this. And how many of you, when you read this line and it says, when you walk through the fire, you won't be scorched nor the flame will burn you, how many of you thought of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Like your Sunday school kids thought of that immediately. You bet your life they were thinking about this, right? I mean, it's possible that some who were alive at the moment that Isaiah was delivering this might have been, they've been very old, but they might have been alive when, when those men in captivity in Babylon refused to bow to worship foreign gods and were thrown into a fiery furnace, but they weren't burnt up. They were protected because God was with them. Certainly, it would have been the next generation who would be recalling this story from their past. It was their recent past. And not just something they read about, something that they knew. It was a part of their oral history. It was a part of their oral tradition, their identity of who they were, being the people of God, the people with whom God is with them, right? They were thinking, look, the, the fiery furnace, I don't have this in the Bible, but I bet it was hot. I don't, I don't know that it was cold. <laughs> and, and when they passed through the, the Jordan River, they might have dropped some things in the river and someone might have tripped over a rock and gone down. God doesn't promise that there will be no trouble, but He promises that He will be with us and He will protect us. Remember, Jesus said to His disciples, in this world you will have many troubles. You will. But then He told them to take heart. The same Jesus that said, I promise I'll be with you to the end of the age. Right? Take heart because I, who will always be with you, I've overcome the world. Right? Qualification number seven is he protects people. Qualification number eight, starting in verse three, he says, for I am the Lord. And the word is Jehovah here. It's the name of the one true God. He is sovereign. He's the existing one. There are a bunch of people pretending that they are powerful, but he is the one. He is the sovereign, sovereign God who is over everything. 
Qualification nine, he says, I am the Lord your God. The word here is Elohim. It's the, the word that means I'll be your ruler, your judge, your guide, your leader. He leads his people. Follow him because he's leading you personally through life. He's your God. Qualification 10 says he's the holy one of Israel. He's sacred. There's none like him. There's none like him in power. There's none like him in glory. There's none like him in creativity. There's none like him in beauty. There's none like him in honor. There's none like him in love. There's none like him in faithfulness. There's none like him in goodness. And in his goodness and in his power, he saves the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I can hardly think of more wonderful words in the entire Old Testament from God to His people than these. For God to look at His people and then for us to think about the realities of of these truths in our lives as well through Christ. I mean, it's not exactly the same as God speaking through Isaiah to the people in captivity at this moment, but through Christ, we know that we become heirs of these same promises. I just want these words to fall on your heart this morning. I just want you to hear these words, to hear God saying to you, fear not. Whatever you're going through, fear not. I have redeemed you. I am the one who saves. I save you from your sin. I've made you my son or my daughter and my child. I know you. I've called you by name. I know everything about you because I formed you. Let this soak in. The sovereign Lord of the universe, He knows your name. <laughs> he knows you. Sometimes you feel like you're not heard, you're not seen. People don't understand you, how you're feeling. He knows you. You belong to Him. Do we belong to Him? You bet your life. And just as deeply and maybe more profoundly, listen to this. He belongs to us. That's what He says. A Savior has given Himself to us. I will be with you. I'm afraid what's happened to us is we've lost our sense of God. And what I mean by that is we've lost our sense of the transcendent. Maybe in familiarity or maybe in distance from the reality that there is a transcendent one who is eternal, who is above all. Nothing catches him off guard. Nothing frustrates his plans or his power. Even when we see things that just aren't looking right or seeming right, God is not sweating one bit. We lose our sense of the transcendence of God, that his glory is higher, that his joy is greater, that his steadiness is like the most faithful person you've ever met on earth. None can compare to God and his faithfulness. The greatest love you've ever felt doesn't shine like a candle to the torch, to the the burning flame of fire that is God's love for His children. We've lost our sense of the transcendent, but not just that, we've lost our sense of His presence with us. That the, the God of the universe, who made it all, He knows me by name, and He's with me, whatever I face. He will not leave me nor forsake me. He didn't fall asleep on the job. He has not turned a blind eye. His eye is on me. It's on the sparrow. How much more on the people he called his? In my 
evidence for this. We've lost our sense of God. My evidence is the lack of replication. And I don't mean that it's non-existent at all. I just mean that it's not ever-present. Where are the people who can't help themselves but talk about Jesus all of the time? Like, we, we walk out of here, and all you can do is talk about how good He is and how great He is, and in everything that you're doing, like, it just spills out of you. Where are all the people who are going, look, I don't have everything figured out in life. I don't have it all finished by any means at all, but good grief, I've been saved by the good God of the universe who knows my name, and He's bringing light and life and peace to my life, and I'm learning a little bit more about it every day. You come with me. I want you to experience what I'm experiencing. Where are all the stories of the replication? Like, I'm not saying it's not there at all. I'm just saying it's not ever-present. We're not every day hearing more and more stories of replication of the discipleship that we found ourselves into and, and so, look, here's the thing. When I read these guys or girls, when I listen to podcasts and I become fascinated with somebody, you do this too. What do we do? We go tell people about it. Like somebody says something and we find it relevant to whatever we're facing in the world, we immediately go and share it. We post it online. We, we, we share somebody else's post. We go, oh my goodness, you never would have expected from this person. They said this and now it all makes sense to me. I read this book. It was incredible. You've got to read this book. You've got to take your staff through this book. Have you heard her podcast? Oh, you're going to love this one. Listen to like the whole summer thing and then just keep going from there and it will knock your socks off. When we're fascinated by a voice, we can't help ourselves. We talk about it. And I'm telling you, if we find ourselves observing God for who He really is and the relationship that He's sought to have with us, and we become fascinated, fascinated, endlessly fascinated with this God, we'll find ourselves being transformed in the way we view and the way we do things in this life. We will see things and speak things differently, and we won't be able to help ourselves. We'll seek to have, as we are being transformed, replication. We'll seek to bring other people in. Look, my goodness, I don't have it all figured out, but this must is true. God is good, and He is with me, and you got to see some of this. you got to experience it for yourself. I'm afraid the evidence shows we've lost our sense of God our sense of His transcendence, and our sense of His presence with us. I think that's what the evidence says. And when we lose our sense of God, we don't just lose religion. We lose everything worth living for. And when we lose our sense of, of what are we living for, really, what do we do? We, we enter into the same scramble that everyone else in the world has entered into, where we're seeking to find anything of worth at all, even the smallest amount of worth that will, for just a moment, give us some consolation, that might help us feel a little better for, for even a minute. And in doing so, we trade the relationship we were made for to sit under the good and great God, to follow Him and be formed by Him. We trade that for all uh, of these other voices, and we become disciples of, of these folks. How did we get there? If you've got Isaiah 43 open, just I'm almost done. Turn back to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, verse 18, God speaks through Isaiah to the people, and He says, Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, 
Or so deaf is my messenger whom I send. Who is blind, so blind as he that is at peace with me? Or so blind as the servant of the Lord? You've seen many things, but you don't observe them. Your ears are open, but none hears. And the verses right before this, verse 16 and 17, God is talking uh, through Isaiah about leading blind nations out of darkness into light. That's what he's talking about. So who would expect him to transition in the next verse to talking about his own people, the people who are already the people of God as being deaf and being blind? Like he says, who is blind but? And the people are like, oh, the idolatrous nations, we know what you're talking about. That's who you're talking about, right? He says, wrong. Who is blind but my servant? That shows me that even the people of God can become blind and deaf to the relationship God intends to have with us. Like, Like their entire mission was to be fascinated with God. That's that's what they were there for, to be fascinated with God. So fascinated that it began to change the way they view and do life. So fascinated that through them, the nations of the earth might come to know the goodness and the greatness of the one true God. How would they know that? By His people being His disciples. By living for God according to His Word, showing people how wonderful, how beautiful, how peaceful, how perfect it is to live with God as master and to be His disciples. But here, their ears were closed and their eyes were closed to God's Word. And this, friends, is how we lose our sense of God. We're not always the best at paying attention. We've actually gotten really, really good at not paying attention. Like we're, we have found, we've made it an art not paying attention. <laughs> we've gotten so good at it that we can go to church and go to life group and read our Bibles and pray without it ever entering our heart. Like that's how good we are at not paying attention. We can do all of the activity of disciples without it ever affecting our minds or our hearts. Here's the, the good news. That's the bad news. The good news is God wants to give it all back. That's the heart of our God. He says, look, I have made you for my glory, and I want to pour into you like the most unbelievably amazing identity and purpose. I want to give you a place of belonging and a destiny unlike any other. And so he moves through Isaiah 42 and begins Isaiah 43. Isaiah 42, you've closed your eyes and ears to me. You're my people, but you're not listening. You've lost your sense of God. Isaiah 43 starts with, but now. But now, this is what the Lord says. And but now are welcome words. The words of grace. The words of grace because God doesn't start his but now with, if you will repent, if you will get your life right with me, if you would just open your eyes and open your ears and do things right, then I will be holy. Then I will be redeemer. Then I will be with you. Then I will protect you. That No, the but now isn't dependent upon our action or activity or our repentance. The but now is dependent upon God's character and His desire for redemption for His people. But now... Look at me. Know me. 
Gaze deeply into the relationship that I have made you for, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Why does God care so deeply and actively for such stubborn people? (laughs) Why does He continue pursuing such stubborn people and say, look, I want better for you. You have no clue what good I want to produce in your life, and you have closed your eyes and ears, but I want better for you, and I'm coming after you. He tells us in verse 4 his reason, because you're precious to me. When I look out at you, my people, and I see a lack of faith or or closed ears or eyes, I'm not getting mad and, and saying I'm ready to punish you. I look out at you and I go, man, you're precious to me. You're precious to me. You're honored and I love you. But now this is what the Lord says. By the cross, Jesus proved that that he would rather die than lose even one of his people. You get that? That's the kind of desire and love that, that he has for you. And he has a grand purpose for your life. He invites us to belong to Him. He invites us to enter into a discipleship relationship with the only God. It's observation, fascination, transformation, and then, oh yeah, replication, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19 says, but God says here and over and over throughout the Bible, and you are to declare the glory of God to the ends of the earth, because I've chosen you for this. You are my witnesses. The essence of discipleship is relationship. It's not a casual relationship. It's a fully devoted relationship where we follow and are formed by a master. I want to show you one thing before we go. Look at this chart. We looked at 11 qualifications on God's resume. He's saying, I invite you into this kind of a relationship with me. Here are my qualifications. We looked at these. For God, we know that He passed the test on all of these, right? He said it, and He's proved it in His Word that He's done it. But I want to add to to this the rest. And the rest is representative of of all of the other voices that, that vie for our attention, that seek to tell us how to live or how to orient ourselves or how to behave in the rest of, of our life. I want you to understand that none of them are creator. None of them have the power to create or form. None of them have redeemed you. That's not even their desire. They just wrote a book. They just started a podcast. Maybe they had a great idea that they wanted to share or maybe they wanted to pay the bills. They're not out to redeem you, right? They haven't called you to themselves. They wrote a book and put it on a shelf and, and hoped you'd buy it. They're not omniscient. They don't know you by name. You go through something hard in life and you pick up the phone to call Malcolm Gladwell. He's not answering for you. He's not. You don't belong to them. You don't belong to them. They're not with you. They won't walk through the fire with you. They won't protect you. They're not sovereign. They're human. They don't lead you. They may write a book and hope you read it and maybe you'll follow some of the things they've said to do, but they won't take you by the hand and guide you through the waters. They won't guide you in the way. They're not holy. They make way more mistakes than what they get right. My goodness, they don't have the power to save. And so maybe the challenge or the task for us this week is to take an inventory of our fascinations. 
take an inventory of our fascinations and see if we've moved from content into something much deeper. To see if we've moved into, unfortunately, an accidental discipleship of an unworthy master. And maybe that's what we have, have done. I think that the call of Isaiah 42 and 43 is to remind us that there is a transcendent God who is good, who is great, and who promises to be with His people. And He invites us in to sit before Him to be endlessly fascinated with the well of His knowledge and His glory and His goodness and His love, to be so fascinated that it changes the way that we speak and the way that we see the world, to gather others around us and invite them into the light and life that we find with God. It's the invitation of Isaiah 42 and 43. And so this week, my challenge to you is to take inventory of your fascinations and see if you've, you've given them to a worthy master. Would you pray with me? Father, you are a, you are a deep well of mystery because the way that grace and truth is seen in you, the way that you, you, you humble yourself before us, yet you reign and rule over all, there is none like you. <laughs> Help us to repent of following unworthy masters. Help us to recognize that any wisdom any human has, even if they don't Name you as the giver of that wisdom. We believe when the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above, so we know that any grace, any goodness, any wise thing on this earth only comes because you've allowed it to come from you. So we want to ascribe to you the glory of your worth. Help us not to be casual fans of God. Help us to be fully following disciples, walking in the way of Jesus Christ, observing all that you have commanded, remembering that you're with us always to the end of the age. And yes, not just for us, may we be a people who go as disciples, making disciples for your glory and fame and that more and more people might be formed into your family and flourish because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.